Join me in the resurrection, Jesus calls to us today. Even now, even today, don't wait till you're dead. Come out of the small, dark, confining places of life into the broad and bright places. Stand up, rise to your full height. These words from Brother Mark Brown, an Episcopalian monk, point to what Jesus means in today's gospel when he speaks of the abundant life that he came to give us, the resurrected life into which we baptize two beautiful children at the 9 o'clock service. Their parents and godparents, and indeed all of us, promise that we will help the newly baptized grow into the full stature of Christ, that we will help them rise to their full height out of the dark, small, confining places of life into the broad and bright places. But what does this abundant life look like in practice? One good example, of course, is what happened to the Lord's original followers. By all accounts, they were certainly confined in small, dark places after the crucifixion. They retreated from the world in their shock and fear, often with a profound sense of guilt. Two of them, we read last Sunday, did venture out toward the village of Emmaus, but they were so overwhelmed with grief and a sense of hopelessness that they didn't even recognize the risen Christ when he met them on the road. But as Linda Brown pointed out in an excellent homily last Wednesday evening, Jesus turned their situation around. This apparent stranger began opening up the scriptures to them, showing them what God had promised to fulfill in and through the Messiah, Jesus. Then the two disciples took a crucial step from the dark, confining spaces of their grief into a much brighter, broader place. Their hearts had been so warmed as he spoke to them on the road that when the stranger seemed about to leave, they offered him hospitality, saying, Stay with us, for evening is at hand, and the day is past. And Jesus said yes. And then at supper with Jesus, after the Lord had blessed and broken the bread, the disciples recognized him, and their lives were never the same again. His presence in the scriptural word and in the supper gave them profound hope. It took them out of themselves, out of their despondency, guilt, and sense of loss. It took them out of themselves so that they could engage with God and others, praising and witnessing and serving and rejoicing. They proclaimed the good news and healed people, even in the face of potentially deadly opposition from the authorities. They cared for each other, even to the point of selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds according to people's needs. This is definitely a picture of the abundant life Jesus came to give us and which he offers us today. It is a picture of liberation and empowerment. It is crucial to remember that this liberation and empowerment 
did not come easily. The obstacles in the way of our living abundantly were so great that Jesus could overcome them only by suffering, dying, and rising again. Pretty great obstacles if it requires that to overcome them. The loving care of the good shepherd for his flock went even as far as going through all this. In his glorious post-resurrection appearances, his followers began to come to life. But Jesus knew that the road ahead would still be treacherous. He therefore, as one of our Eucharistic prayers says, sent the Holy Spirit to complete his work in the world and to bring to fulfillment the sanctification of all. It was through this Spirit that the Good Shepherd remained to lead his sheep toward abundance, even amid dangers that he himself had faced. Everything had changed, and yet changes were still needed to bring in the kingdom. Many of our images of the Good Shepherd, such as the beautiful one in our chapel, give no hint of dangers, with Jesus and his sheep walking through a lush and blooming garden. And of course, there's truth in that image. But the 23rd Psalm perhaps better conveys the point that we still walk through the valley of the shadow of death, surrounded by forces that would harm us. The magnitude of threats to our abundant life in Christ has become clearer to me recently as I participated in a dialogue between members of our cathedral and members of our neighbor and partner, Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church. We have read works by Martin Luther King Jr., James Baldwin, and ta Coates, among others, including Dr. Keller. And reading all this, and from my own studies of American history, I'm convinced that racism is deep, insidious, and very hard to eradicate. Racism is one manifestation of our basic human tendency to sin by imagining and acting as though another person is of less worth and dignity than we are. I don't know about you, but I face that temptation every day to look down on somebody. It's, it's just pretty ingrained, and it takes a lot of power to get beyond it. And these days, we sometimes don't want to face how prone we are to go astray, to be drawn away from God by forces outside us and by forces within us. But it's a reality that the Bible attests to from the beginning to end, our tendency to sin, to be drawn away from the way of love. And, of course, Christian belief in every century has reminded us of this sober reality. And so does our Book of Common Prayer in the baptismal service. Uh, really gets to the heart of this when the, uh, either the adults making vows or the parents and godparents uh, speaking for themselves and the children acknowledge obstacles to abundant life when they, of all things, 
renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, and they renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and when we renounce sinful desires that draw us from the love of God. Now, we may not mention Satan very much in our sermons in the Episcopal Church, but look, it's in the prayer book. All sorts of forces, seen and unseen, threaten our life in Christ, our abundant life. And our Christian faith into which we baptize people is so credible in part because it doesn't try to mask these hard realities. It takes fully into account what we are up against. But thanks be to God, there's more to the story. After people making the vows renounce evil, they acknowledge and put their trust in the power of God, who is love and whom we know in Jesus the Christ. This is a power so strong that it overcomes all threats to abundant life. I, I think only the power of God can get rid of racism or sexism or you, you name it. All the things that put us in small, dark places, confining places. Only the power of God can liberate us from that. Christ is the only one who can turn our darkness into light, our sadness into joy, our death into life. The resurrection assures us of this power and of the divine mercy and love. So with confidence, we put our trust in him and turn our lives over to the good shepherd, promising to follow and obey him as our Lord. Of course, the outcome of this won't always be easy. Those of us who've been baptized a while back know this. But it will, without doubt, be a glorious and life-giving outcome, regardless of the obstacles that may threaten us. If we pay attention and follow the Lord day by day, he will lead us from the dark places in which we are confined into broad and bright places where we can stand tall, flourishing in loving and eternal communion with God and each other. Join me in the resurrection, Jesus calls out to us today, even now, even today.